Welcome to the Damascus Road Podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. In early January, parents all over the United States and Canada rejoiced. Not only because it was 2021 or because school was starting again, even remotely, but because PBS canceled Caillou. What is Caillou, you ask? It is apparently one of the worst kid shows ever created. Its main character, Caillou, is a bald four-year-old known for his whininess, crying, and misbehavior. I'll let other parents tell you of their joy from social media. Caillou's reign of terror is over. Hashtag Caillou is over party. It turns out 2021 is better than 2020 after all. What was even the message with that show? All I remember was him whining about everything and being kind of violent. All races, all colors, all creeds, religions, and political backgrounds. What unites us? All, and I do mean all parents are celebrating the cancellation of Caillou today. 2021 is delivering. Caillou getting canceled is the start to 2021 I needed. That bald-headed little terror can no longer brainwash kids into being worse. A lot of strong emotions here. When the news broke, my Facebook feed blew up with rejoicing. The anecdotes of parents who refused to let their kids watch the show due to Caillou's behavior and his influence were incredible. Many parents bemoaned their kids' behavior and realized that in some instances, they were just doing what they'd seen Caillou do. Whine, cry, and disobey his parents in ways that drove them crazy. Apparently, there haven't even been new episodes airing. It's been 10 years of reruns, and that's actually what PBS canceled. They're no longer showing the reruns, and I am delighted that my children have never seen the show. Because the truth is, navigating kids' shows can be a total minefield. Trying to find shows that I feel good about Roland and Aiden watching during their daily 1 p.m. movie time is a challenge. We've settled on a few. Magic School Bus and Magic School Bus Rides Again, the, the Netflix reboot. Educational, interesting, entertaining, and not too annoying. Super Wings, transforming planes and helicopters, delivering packages to kids all over the world, and learning about different cultures. Not too bad. Octonauts, a variety of animals live underwater and help different sea creatures every episode. And then each episode ends with a creature report where you recap what you learned and a dance break. Solid stuff. And of course, Scooby-Doo. Age appropriate? No. Still entertaining? Absolutely. Scooby-Dooby-Doo! Classic. Finding these has been tough. Have you seen the options that are available? There's so much chaos in the shows. Lots of fast cuts and constant motion. They're always bad guys. Everyone is fighting or shooting something. The humor is often mean, spirited, and critical. There's so little worth watching. And it makes me tempted to halt all TV altogether in my family. In fact, we're considering giving it up for Lent, an intentional season to try life without something to refocus on what really matters. And Maybe we'll discover that life is even better without it. I don't know that the kids will agree, but every day that they don't desperately beg to watch a show at one and are instead enjoying playing with each other, drawing or building or helping around the house, I smile inside and on the outside, if I'm honest. 
The lack of good kid shows isn't a new problem. It was that way when I was growing up too. Here's a quick look back at some of the highlights. I would hope that anybody who sets himself or herself out to produce mass programming for children could have the kind of respect of childhood that I have. Because it's not all clowns and balloons. Television's pretty terrible. What do you mean you don't agree with me? Some television programs are loud and scary, with people shooting and hitting other people. You know, you can do something about that. When you see scary television, you can turn it off. I've seen or watched almost all of these TV shows and shown that way I cringe a little inside. My father-in-law just gave us the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live action movies, all four of them. My boys will not be seeing those for quite a while. Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood fame was different. He was convinced that most TV for kids was absolute drivel. And not only that, but it was actively shaping kids in ways that would hurt them in the long run instead of help them. He looked at children and he had deep compassion on them. He longed to see them learn how to handle their big emotions with grace and honesty, to learn that they were incredibly valuable without having to accomplish anything, and that they were loved and capable of loving others. Instead, he feared that much of TV was designed to turn kids into good little consumers. That much of TV was designed to create a desire to spend money on things they didn't have and to have them spend their money or their parents' money on things they didn't need. For somebody who was in television, he was just, he hated television. <laughs> In this country, the child is appreciated for what he will be. He will be a great consumer someday. Listen. The quicker we can get them to go out and buy, the better. There's so much of that in this country. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was different. It had a rhythm to it. It started the same way every time with a song about being neighbors and Mr. Rogers looking right into the camera and telling me that I mattered. It tackled sticky issues like emotions and resolving conflict, sang songs about handling anger and how each child is liked not for what they look like or what they wear, but just for being them. To the thousands of kids he influenced, he was a voice of care in a world that wasn't always full of love or hope or compassion. Interestingly, Fred Rogers was an ordained minister called to use TV to share God's love with children. He was convinced that loving God and loving others could be made tangible in every home through television if it was done thoughtfully and with great care. He studied child development so the shows were appropriate and helpful, and he had an incredible impact on kids and families. I know that he Im impacted me. In 1986... My mom took my brother Brad and I to the library. It was like any other day, just picking up our new books to read, maybe listening to a story, then driving home in our old Toyota Corolla. 
And I still remember this particular day because we were listening to the radio when the station was interrupted to inform the country that a space shuttle launch had gone terribly wrong and the Challenger, Challenger shuttle exploded. It was one of my first public experiences with a national tragedy. I wasn't sure what was going on entirely, but my parents cared for me. They made me feel safe, and they did their best to help me understand. And then there was Mr. Rogers. He didn't shy away from hard subjects, but he faced them head on in front of a national audience. He had developed so much trust with his consistent kindness and presence through the TV that he could speak truth and love in a way that kids could understand and respond to. One of his famous stories about tragedy goes like this. When I was a boy and I would see scary things on the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. And this story was meant to comfort children that even while there's great tragedy, there's also hope. There are adults who are helping and will help and protect them. When I was a child, it was good to hear that I wasn't alone in the world because the world was scary and out of control some of the time. And now that I'm an adult, I have the opportunity to be part of the solution in the world, to be a helper, to make God's love tangible, to show compassion, love focused outwards. And this is something that our church values, not just lovely sentiments or kind thoughts, but action that reveals changed hearts and shows love instead of merely saying that we love. The world that we live in is full of tragedy, much caused by people's brokenness as we hurt ourselves and each other, as well as national disasters and even pandemics. How we respond to these big things matters. It reveals where our hearts are focused, either on ourselves or on others. And if we are oriented to seeing more and more of life in Tucson and in our world look like the kingdom of God, is our love of God overflowing in a love of people? It also matters how we respond in the small things. To the weary cashier at the grocery store who's had a long day. To the scared student or elder who is afraid of COVID. To the friend or neighbor who is isolated. Will our actions and words encourage them that God is real and that he loves them? That not only God cares about them, but we do too. How will we be known in our community and in the world? Will we be a community that is isolated and aloof from the challenges that we see around us? Or will we dive into the mess like Jesus did? If our church ceased to exist tomorrow, would people even notice? Not the people here, but the people who don't tune in on Sundays or attend a small group. The people struggling in our community and around the world. I hope and pray that they will notice and that we will grow even more to be a community that is known for its compassion, just like Jesus was. When I read the Gospels, I am entranced by how incredible Jesus is. The people who encountered him would fall down at his feet in worship. They would walk away from their careers to start a new one with him. They were amazed at his insight and authoritative teaching. And most importantly, they couldn't help but respond to his love. And it wasn't just those who were easy to love. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my family and my friends, but I don't love everyone. And even those I do love, I'm not always all that great at doing it. But Jesus, he loved in a way that is not just inspiring, not just worth emulating, but worth giving my life to. 
Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says it this way. Mostly what God does is love you. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Jesus touched lepers and people who were diseased who had not felt human contact in years. He spent time with the sinners that the religious elite would have nothing to do with. Tax collectors employed by the Roman government that was oppressing the Jewish people were seen in the company of Jesus. Prostitutes and adulterers and drunkards. Jesus spent time with them all. He was known even as a glutton and a drunkard, not because he was, but because he came eating and drinking with people who the elite in society wouldn't have anything to do with. And this is one of the beautiful things about Jesus. I know that if he loves people that are hard to love, that then he can love me too because I have no illusions about my own brokenness. I'm often self-absorbed and I have trouble thinking about others instead of myself. When I meet new people, I want them to look at me and think that I'm successful, that I'm intelligent and good looking and generous and kind. I want the people I meet, even people I don't know, to think well of me. I'm very aware of my need to grow in love for God. I have trouble praying without my mind wandering. My pursuit of God is often haphazard and inconsistent and I can be small and petty. I still struggle with many of the sins that I've struggled with for years. I know that I'm broken and I know that you are too. But God loves me anyway. And in his love, I have the opportunity to become like his son Jesus, both in identity and in behavior. And God loves you in your brokenness too. All of us are broken and all of us are loved anyway. This is grace. And recognizing that we are in need is vital for us to accept that grace and enter into the kingdom of God. The scandal of God's grace is that he loves you and the prostitute working on Miracle Mile, the executive at Raytheon and the convict at Arizona State Prison, the same. God's love is equally available to all of us and none of us is worse or better off because we are all loved by God and he is pursuing us all, longing for us to respond to his love. Jesus' love was most perfectly expressed in his death on the cross for us. But it's not just that love. It's his love that we find throughout the Bible that is so captivating. We are drawn to Jesus' love, transformed by his love, known by his love. He has loved us into loving. The apostle John tells us we love because he first loved us. I don't just love Jesus because of how amazing or inspiring or excellent his teaching is, but because of how he loves me. He shows me how to love with his love of me, and I can't help but respond in love. The number one indicator of whether you will like someone new is simply if they like you. It's not similar interests. It's not ease of conversation or common experience. We like it when others like us, and we enjoy being around others who enjoy us. I have good news for you. God delights in you. You are loved more deeply than you can understand. And our hearts can't help but respond to love. When we respond to God's love, admitting that we need him to put us back together again and to give us true life, that we are ready to trust Jesus with our whole lives, how to live today and forever, 
we are then given the ministry of reconciliation, as the Apostle Paul calls it. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are invited to join the mission of Jesus, focused on the restoration of all creation. And that mission is all about love. Jesus began his public ministry at a synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. At that Sabbath gathering, Jesus stood up to read the scriptures. This is Luke 4, 17 through 21. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now, the scroll of Isaiah had been read many times before, but never had someone made such a bold claim after reading it. Jesus was declaring to those gathered in Nazareth that day that the prophecies of Isaiah were coming true in him. The Messiah had come, and it was the dawning of God's promise, a new age that would be marked by love and justice and peace. Throughout the Old Testament, God set up laws to protect the people on the margins, and his chosen nation, Israel, was to show the world what God's kingdom looked like. While Israel Israel failed consistently. God promised that he would send a savior that would change not only Israel's fortunes, but the world's. Jesus was declaring that everything was about to change in him, that you could live with him and in relationship with God in an entirely different way. He called it the kingdom, his kingdom, where everything is just as it's supposed to be, where life meets with his great delight and peace, justice, and love reign. This is the reality and the way of Jesus that we seek to follow. And it means we need to do more than say we care about others. We need to show it in our actions. Now, if you had to prove that you loved your parents or your kids or your spouse or your friends, could you do it? I'm talking, could you present evidence in a court of law that you love someone? And if so, what would that evidence be? It would be more than words. We can say a lot of things, but the proof is in what we do. Aiden likes to say that he's helping Roland clean up at the end of the day. But when I look over him, he's just playing and wandering aimlessly, singing, clean up, clean up. His words are saying clean up, but his actions reveal he's not cleaning up anything. If I had to prove that I loved my wife, I would point to dates gone on and trips we took, texts and emails exchanged, gifts I bought her, money spent, time together. I would talk about parenting our kids, working through conflict, helping her and being with her when the world was crazy and she was struggling. I would present a lot of evidence for loving Megan, but the key moment would come when Megan took the stand and testified. What would she say? Did she believe that I loved her? Or did I just think that I loved her? Did I just say that I loved her, but couldn't back it up with actions that touched her heart? Compassion and love touches people's hearts. 
Jesus didn't just declare that the blind would see that day in Nazareth. He physically restored the sight of many. Healing physical blindness was a significant sign of the Messiah and that Jesus was exactly who he said he was, God in the flesh. He didn't heal everyone because that wasn't his primary goal, but he did have compassion on them. And we're called to do the same thing, care for people physically and spiritually. Physical healing was important, but healing spiritual blindness was an even bigger deal. Matthew, a former hated tax collector that Jesus invited to follow him, tells us, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' mission was to announce and inaugurate the kingdom of God, to invite people to follow him and to live in deep, life-giving relationship with God, both now and forever. And that mission culminated in his death and resurrection. Matthew responded to this incredible mission and the love of Jesus, and he longed for everyone he knew to respond to it as well. Right after he left his life as a tax collector to follow Jesus, he threw a big party with all of his friends so that they too could meet this man who had loved him into loving others. The way of Jesus lived and cared for others shows us how we are to love and care for them. When asked what the core of following Jesus was, the core of what he was teaching, just to boil it all down, Jesus says that the core is loving God and loving others. And those two things are inseparable. It's not one or the other, it's both. Here's the scene from the good doctor, Luke. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Jesus does not give us an option to focus on one to the exclusion of the other. We can't say that we love God and not love the people that he so desperately loves, just like the way he loves us. We can't say we love people, but never spend any time with God. We are invited into a life-giving relationship with Jesus, the source of all true love. And that love isn't meant to be kept to ourselves. It's meant to overflow to others. God's love is ever expanding. All creation bursts forth from the love that the Father, Son, and Spirit have shared for all eternity. And we are invited to share in that love, not only for ourselves, but for the good of others too. The man who asked Jesus what the core was followed up with a question. He said, and who is my neighbor? This man was looking for the minimum entrance requirements to get into the kingdom. Can I exclude people? You can't really mean I need to love people who are different, who are from another country, who have different values or voted differently than me. Can you? No one can do that. But with Jesus, all things are possible. And God's incredible love that overflows to us is meant to keep flowing to others, especially those we wouldn't normally love. Anyone can care and have compassion for our kids or our spouses or our family and friends. Jesus calls us to a different love that's bigger, that's above and beyond, into a love that he can produce in us, a love for all people, even enemies, and that is expressed in compassion. 
Now, during a pandemic, like we're experiencing, compassion can look a lot of different ways. It can be finding ways to connect with your friend or family that's isolated online or in small intimate gatherings, bringing them a meal or sending a card or a small gift to let them know that you care about them. It can be volunteering at our food bank every month or helping with Caring Ministries, our partner in the food bank that is feeding hundreds of people every week during this challenging time. It can be wearing a mask to protect others from germs you might be unknowingly carrying and being kind to people who are sorting through this season just a little differently than you, or even a lot differently. Consider in the season of division, these people. What might it look like for you to show compassion to them, to put yourselves in their situation? the challenges they've faced and continue to face, the life that has led them to act and speak and hold the positions that they hold. Can you imagine how lonely it must be to be in the type of leadership that they are in? The hours they've worked, the relationships they've lost, the pain of decision-making and the vitriol that has been directed at all of them. Compassion is the way of Jesus, not hate. Light drives out darkness. Grace and compassion foster unity. Kindness can heal souls. Let's choose the way of Jesus, even if it's hard, and trust that God will do a work in our hearts that become hard so easily. Let's trust that the Holy Spirit can soften our hearts, that as we rest in God's love and give God our love and attention first, that as we follow the way of, the G of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit really will produce in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what is our church doing to promote compassion actively? First of all, we're committed to the reality that we don't exist for our own self-perpetuation. The goal of our church isn't to recruit more people and collect more money and hire more staff so that we can do it all over again. And the cycle continues. Our goal isn't to grow big, but rather to grow God's kingdom and bless the world around us because of our presence. Our commitment is that 50% of all the money that is given in tithes and offerings is directed outside of our Damascus Road community. Left our own devices, we often turn inward and we spend all of our money on ourselves. We wanna make sure that we don't do that. We support numerous missionaries who are making Jesus' name famous and sharing his good news with other, others. We support Bloodwater Mission, working to facilitate clean water and clean blood in Africa, where HIV and unsafe water bring so much death. We support the International Justice Mission that is fighting slavery and sex trafficking around the world. We support the Preemptive Love Coalition who are going into the war-torn countries of the Middle East and showing compassion, offering hope with food, water, and job training. Your money funds our mobile food bank and our partner Caring Ministries right here in Tucson. And we gave a special gift during COVID season to Old Pueblo Community Services that is fighting homelessness and housing injustice in our area as well. We work in partnership with other awesome organizations to see Tucson and the world become small pockets of kingdom good. We've worked to be creative, to still give out water on campus, and we want to expand our local and global partnerships in the coming years so that our reputation will be that we have a big heart, that we care about the people in our area and around the world. Because Jesus loves us, we love others tangibly. I love that on campus, when people don't come to our church, but they know who we are because we give away water and we give away food because of Jesus' great love for us. If we disappeared tomorrow, people would notice we were gone. 
And I would love to see that reality expand. When travel is safe again, we will resume our service and relief trips. We've made God's love tangible in Cuba, where the way of Jesus is practiced secretly and underground. In Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, after the devastating earthquake they experienced 10 years ago. Along the Gulf Coast, after hurricanes, in upstate New York, after terrible floods. We've sent teams to Mexico and the Bahamas, working with wonderful missionaries and organizations to make sure that we are helping their long-term sustainable ministry efforts, not contributing to problems. Our church gave generously this fall when hurricanes ripped through Honduras, Nicaragua, and Cuba, and many missionaries that we are connected to through Missions Door who were already hurting due to COVID were displaced or lost churches. I am so proud of the compassion and the way that we've made God's love tangible locally and globally with the gifts and resources that God has entrusted to us, and we plan to continue to do that together. God's dream for his church is to be the beacon pointing the way to another world. God says it this way in his Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Jesus said we're to be a city on a hill, a light in the darkness, saying that God's way is better, that his kingdom is real and available and among us right now. How we live as individuals and a community declares to the world the gospel of Jesus and that God is alive in our hearts and in our lives. And our love made tangible, our compassion in action is the clearest witness to the world. This is our core value of compassion. Jesus calls us to love the outsider, protect the weak, and walk with the hurting. We model his love and character by recognizing the needs outside our church, responding with love and compassion, and intentionally acting to make Jesus' love tangible to those we encounter. So just a couple of ideas to help you develop your compassion and kindness this week. If you want some inspiration on the impact of kindness on people's lives, I encourage you to watch Won't You Be My Neighbor, the wonderful documentary about Fred Rogers on Amazon Prime. Seeing Mr. Rogers' vision of loving his neighbor, caring for kids, and making God's love understandable to generations of children is really wonderful and moving. Or... Alternatively, you can watch the Tom Hanks movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, inspired by his life as well. But I encourage you, if you have only seen A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, go ahead and watch the documentary. It is even better. You could also memorize John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus' words, so now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Hiding God's word in your heart and treasuring the words of Jesus can help you remember the truth of who you are and who you're called to be. I encourage you to pray for others. It's so easy to pray for ourselves and our lives and needs and wants, but I invite you to practice intercession this week. Talk to God about what's going on in the world. Pray for your community and for our country. For countries and communities with far less access to medical care and clean water and vaccines. Pray for people that you are tempted to despise and see if God won't soften your heart in the process. We may not be able to show tangible love to them all, but we can pray for them. Orient our hearts outside of ourselves and our problems. 
and go to God who can do far more than we ever can. Finally, I encourage you to spend time learning to stop and rest in God's love. Just take a moment or two throughout the day to stop and rest for five minutes and remind yourself how much God loves you because he calls you his son and your daughter. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He works all things to the good of those who love him. He's numbered the hairs on your head and he delights in you. You are his beloved. He longs for you to spend time with him and remember the truth that before you accomplished anything, before you could hold your head up on your own, you were loved with a never ending, all consuming, incredible love. Spend time internalizing that love, telling yourself the truth about how God views you. And as he shows you his love, you will grow in your love for God and others because we cannot help but respond to love. When I was growing up, I watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and on the show, they had this whole land of make-believe which featured these puppets. And there was a particular puppet called Daniel Striped Tiger. I don't know why it wasn't just striped. It was Daniel Striped Tiger, an old worn tiger puppet that channeled Fred Rogers' childhood and wisdom and compassion to children. I discovered recently that the whole community of puppets that in this land of make-believe make up the parents for the kids' show, Daniel Tiger. In many ways, Daniel Tiger's neighborhood is the spiritual successor to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And Daniel Striped Tiger is Daniel Tiger's dad. Roland and Aiden watched their first episode of it this week, and I'm hoping that it becomes a new favorite because it is continuing many of the wonderful goals that Fred Rogers set out to accomplish through media and the lives of children because of his love for God. It's not hoping to make your children into consumers, but into kids who know they are loved, can manage their challenging emotions, resolve conflict, and find real ways to love others too. I mentioned earlier that I remember the day in 1986 when the Challenger shuttle exploded. I also remember September of 2001, the fall of my senior year of college, watching the small TV in my on-campus apartment as the World Trade Centers crumbled due to terrorist attacks. Our country was mourning another tragedy, and PBS wanted to find someone to address us all, not just the children. And even though he had retired, they turned to Fred Rogers. With years of trust and care, he sought to encourage us all that evil and brokenness doesn't have the last word, and that love and compassion can triumph over hate. This is just a small glimpse of what he said. We decided to have Fred back to do some promos about 9-11. He was very troubled, and I said, Fred, what's wrong? And he said, I just don't know what good these are going to do. And I just remember saying, Fred, how can you say that? When... The horror of 9-11 really hit him. I, I think it was a real eye-opener. He was realizing that it was just so big. It's always going to be an ongoing struggle to overcome evil. I remember thinking, okay, this is the time that you need to pump him up because he doesn't understand. These, this is really important. People listen to you. Okay. 
no matter what our particular job, especially in our world today, we all are called to be tikkun olam, repairers of creation. Thank you for whatever you do, wherever you are, to bring joy and light and hope and faith and pardon and love to your neighbor and to yourself. repairers of creation in our kindness and love and compassion we make the world more like it was meant to be and join Jesus in the restoration of all things in the ministry of reconciliation I'd like to end with one of his favorite practices Fred Rogers said all throughout your life someone has laughed you into laughing talked you into talking loved you into loving God has loved us into loving, but there are people in your life who have helped you to become who you are, who've helped you learn to laugh and talk and love. And I'd like to take one minute, just 60 seconds of silence to think together and remember them, to think and reflect on the people who have helped you learn to love others and shaped you into who you are today. So I'll watch the time for you. You don't have to worry about it. I'll pull it up. We're just going to do 60 seconds together, remembering the people that have shaped us. So let's take a moment and remember together. Thank you for doing that with me. Let's commit together to being the kind of person for someone else. The people that have so impacted us, let's be those people for someone else so that when they pause in the future, we will come to mind because we've helped them laugh into laughing, talk into talking, and love into loving. Let's pray together, thanking God for his love and for the people in our lives that have loved us into loving. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, all throughout our life, there have been people who have made your love tangible to us, who have cared for us, who have pursued us with love, who have hugged us when we needed it and comforted us when life is hard, helped us learn to express our emotions and tell other people the hard things like I'm hurt or I'm sorry or I love you. 
Thank you for the incredible love you have for us, for the example of Jesus, for his love, not only in his death and resurrection, but in the way that he cared for people throughout his life, for the way that he invited heaven to earth so that our, our world would be more and more like your kingdom. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see love and justice and peace reign. May we be people of your compassion. May we be formed deeply by your love for us that will help us grow in our ability to love others, even those that are hard to love. We know that your spirit can miraculously do things in our hearts that will reveal that you are real and that you are loving the world through us. May that be true. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at damascusroadtucson.com.